Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and in this episode, we are going to talk about sexual grief, what it is, and its role in the trauma healing journey. It is more than just what you think it is. The guest for this episode is none other than my new good friend, Edie Nathan. She is an author, public speaker, licensed therapist in New York City. She has degrees from New York University and Fordham University with postgraduate training at the Ackerman Institute for Family Therapy and from the University of Michigan Sex Therapy Program. In this episode, we're looking at what role does sexual grief play in the trauma healing journey? Because it will play a role in everyone's trauma healing journey, no matter what your past has been. Here's what you will learn. What is sexual grief and how to identify it? The impact of early life experiences and early development on later sexual grief. The concept of becoming our own hostage negotiator and the inner dialogue we must learn how to do. The role of curiosity, empathy, and rapport in healing sexual grief and the cultural and family influences on sexual grief. This episode comes from an excerpt from one of my live classes where Edie was a guest speaker for one of my biology of trauma modules, the biology of healing to be specific. Jennifer is a course member who shared how this topic landed for her. And I'm going to start this episode with Jennifer's share. As you will hear in her voice, this topic brought up a lot more than what she expected, as I expect it will do for you. Let's hear Jennifer share and then jump into the interview with Edie Nathan. I was a part of a very high demand religion that that shamed sexual behavior before marriage and then even some sexual things within marriage. And uh, it really starts at eight years old or even younger. And my dear, sweet, beautiful niece took her life about a year and a half ago because of um, the sexual grief effect that she had for how she was living her life and the amount of um, shame and self-loathing. And um, I'm feeling that really deep right now. And I've since left this high demand religion and a lot of our family has as well, but I just don't know how to help others. I've, because of this, I'm doing okay, but we have a lot of very wounded people in our family. I met Edie at Oxford. So we were both in Oxford, England. Uh, We were both speakers there at the Trauma Master Series Conference. And actually starting the very first evening before anything started, Edie and I were assigned to sit next to each other. I actually went to her talk that she gave and was just, I want to say, a very expansive experience for me to hear her talk about this topic of sexual grief and really reclaiming ourselves, right? Like healing the deepest, the deepest part of ourselves sometimes that we don't even know has been wounded. So with that, Edie, let's, let's start with what do you mean by sexual grief? 
I always love when people ask the question, you know, because it's not out there. And it was really the combination of, of, of my, my training as a sex therapist and, and my work in grief. And I realized, you know, and the work obviously in trauma, right. And, you know, somehow there, things were missing. Like the, the, the things were just not coordinating in a way that made sense. Cause if we're talking about trauma, how come we're not talking about sex and sexuality and, and personal identity? And so I, that's my lead in to say that this, this is, um, this is an ever evolving definition. And the more I talk about it, the more it evolves, the more precise it, it becomes. And, uh, so this, this is it for right now, ever changing sexual grief, the sexual grief effect is a natural response to a sexually traumatic predatory event or a sexually traumatic developmental experience that both leave its recipients feeling as if they're held hostage. The sexual grief effect is a shapeshifter and it will show up in different ways at different times for different people. And the culmination is you start with self-loathing and what I teach is a form of liberation that then gets to self-love. When I consider self-loathing, I mean, I see that this is so many people though, Edie. Yeah. Like is. this is the majority of people walking around, not just not loving themselves. They don't even like themselves. No, that's right. Some, someone said to me recently, would you talk to a good friend? the way you either talk to yourself or you hear people talking to themselves. And it was like, no, I would never, ever say, you know, look in a mirror and say, oh, you look terrible today. You know, no, I'd find something good and redeeming. But somehow, and I believe it, it's from some messaging that came in early on, or even in utero messaging of the unwanted child, or just that bully that just mapped you so well. And th those are the developmental hits that I'm actually talking about here. Because when we talk about a predatory, sexually traumatic event, I, everybody has an image of what that is. I don't need to do a deep dive into that. I mean, I do in, in, in this new book that I'm writing, but, but, it, but really the developmental piece, that's, that's, I think, where as clinicians and my colleagues and I are, 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 are missing a conversation. Do you know anything, for example, about what happened in utero? Do you think that your mom wanted you? Were you born into a family where you felt you weren't wanted? Because you know, you know what, Amy, those statistics, are horrific. Those children, right? They have cognitive issues. They have social issues. They are, are demeaning, self-demeaning. And in terms of personal identity, it's, it's lacking. And so we know that a child's development in early years, starting in utero, really affects their physical health for the, the rest of their life and Absolutely. even brings on diseases. And we're seeing diseases appearing younger and younger in people. So now it's appearing in teenagers. It, children having anxiety is become a crisis and an epidemic around the world right now. So yes. could this 
development that affects one's view of themselves, their sexuality, be part of that developmental misalignment that's happening, that's contributing to all of the diseases? I wish I could say no. I wish I could say no. I I was recently doing some research on autoimmune disorders, and that includes, you know, your rarest forms of arthritis. And the statistics were alarming. 90% of people who are, are dealing with gut health issues and autoimmune disorders have some kind of trauma in their background. 90%. And I'm not making this up. This this came from um, the Amer- the APA, and it's coming from the um, CDC. I mean, you know, these are institutions that do quite a bit of research. So, yeah. So a regular let's let's call it a regular trauma, Edie. Just a, a just a, the normal trauma, right? <laughs> like the vanilla trauma. <laughs> just living in the world trauma these right. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. let's take a trauma that is not directly a sexual trauma, but will that trauma still bring a crisis of identity around one's sexuality? It can. It can. When someone has a trauma, what's uh, so often the the initial response, and you know, certainly you know about the brain, right? And the brain is going to form those pathways to protect the self. And so when someone's had a traumatic incident, and it may, you know, just be an acute incident, it happened once, that's it. It doesn't mean that it has any less of an effect. However, what we tend to want to do is swallow it, put it away. You know, it's not going to affect me. And just that lingo alone, that perspective of, oh, it was nothing. Oh, it happened so long ago. I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure the people that are listening today, you've heard these responses. And the minute you're into, oh, it doesn't matter. It happened so long ago. I think you are in a, a, a place where you could very much have a, a, a lost sense of that personal identity and social identity and that misalignment. Because when there's a trauma, whether it's one or a one-off or it's chronic or complex, whichever one of the three you want to choose that you find yourself in and you deny it, the effects from it get bigger. And that means maybe a lack of confidence, maybe that self-loathing, maybe you're your own bully. You don't need a bully. You're your own. If you don't hold on to the equity of your own love, how do you allow someone else in so that you can love them or they can love you? And as you've worked with people, as they get into their adult years, as they get into their middle age years or whatever, whatever, whatever that means, have you seen a grief come around, come up in them around how they haven't been able to open up, how they haven't been able to, um, I want to say, have the experiences in relationships with intimacy that they have wanted to have? Yeah, it, it, it sadly. And and yet wonderf- wonderfully, because you, no matter what your age, and it's funny because 
you know, there are people who are in their 30s who, when they go through a traumatic experience or an event, they're not feeling like they're 30. They're feeling like they're 70. Whatever 70 feels like, I don't really know what 70 feels like, but they're feeling like they're at the end of their life rather than at, at a beginning. And it's very fractured. It's very, it's a very fractured experience. So when someone at 70 is able to say, and, and I've had uh, m- many men and women come to me and say, wow, I, I now have something that I, I, I didn't understand before. And now I'm finally ready to talk about it. And, you know, it's like, it's like there's this wonderful inner, explosion of self-expression. They become artists, they dance, they, and their health improves. Their arthritis, somehow the, 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 um, the pain is diminished because it's, it's gotten expressed. And I think that's the key, right? Like is, is being able to move into expression rather than holding everything in, holding everything back, needing to stuff it down because it doesn't feel safe to let anything out. That's right. It's actually being able to express ourselves because I, the way that I see it, and maybe you'll have a different perspective, but even in art, even in creativity, like there is a sexuality that comes out oh. in that. Oh, 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 ab- you know, we, we, we are born with our sexual selves. I mean, it's, pr- it's primal. Okay. It, it doesn't mean you're sexy. It just means we have a sensibility of our sexual selves. So and and are, are are there people who who are not who don't tap into it for a variety of reasons you know to be asexual doesn't mean you don't have that you weren't created as some form of a of a, of 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 a sexual being it doesn't mean you act on it even being able to make the choices that one makes around any part of the lives they live um as beings as people then it's not a gender conversation. It's a human one. And so what are you seeing in our society today, in our world today, that are direct hindrances and blocks, obstacles for healthy sexual selves? So let's let's go to the part of the definition that we haven't even gone into, which is about hostages. Okay, now this is a very tender time in the world. We're there, and I must. I'm. I. I, I can't not talk about it because, t- to me, I would be avoiding it. When someone has been involved in a predatory event, or or a developmental experience that are sexually traumatic in nature, they fit the definition of what freed hostages experience, which is the self-loathing, regret, guilt, much shame. Um, a dysregulation within the body and the mind and the and and the spirit, and and that sense of true loathing. I mean, loathing on steroids. And so, one of the things that are that 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 I think I love and I, I love to teach people, but I think it helps people to have a handle on something that they wanted to deny is first to get out of denial. Well, how do you get out of denial? curiosity. And so becoming a hostage negotiator, when someone is held hostage by the sexual grief effect, is really my 
my way of helping people find their voice, get in touch with their bodies. And so the idea here is let's partner with what feels like an enemy. And so becoming a hostage strategist and becoming curious, which is the first element of any good hostage negotiator, that curiosity is about Okay, so what's going on here? Why am I losing my mind? Why why do I feel so chaos, such chaos in my brain right now? How come I'm not I'm not finding words when I usually do? How come my body feels like it, I call it the guillotine effect? How come I don't feel like I'm connected? And so to begin to ask those questions and you're asking it of the hostage taker which is the sexual grief effect. And so what do I think are the first things to do to ask those questions? I love the term hostage negotiator. And I'm, I think I'm going to borrow that phrase from you, Edie. We do a lot of internal family systems and parts work here. We yes. do it in an embodied way. So it's somatic parts work. But just this idea of negotiating with parts is something that we that we do, that, that uh, we're very intentional about those yes. conversations with parts. And to see that in this new light as you're talking about mm, it in the form of we're being taken hostage and yes. we've got to we've got to learn how to actually have those conversations which right. as i even think of what it might feel like to be a hostage like those are those are big conversations and no wonder yeah. it's been so hard to move into a place of curiosity for many people no That's wonder right. it's been <laughs> right. everything that we do to try to avoid that conversation, which of course only leads to feeling more chaos and That's feeling right. more of the guillotine effect. Like I'm really cut off from my body, which has all of its downstream effects. Because if we're cut off from our body, like there, there is no expression of ourselves. There is no opening of ourselves. Um, our sexual selves are, are cut off. They're cut and off. so- being able to come back to this idea of like, I'm, I'm working with parts here that have taken me hostage (laughs) and I need to become skilled at having those conversations. And it's something that I can learn rather than just being afraid of it and avoiding it. That's right. And it, and it's cyclical. So every time you get to a new place within your growth, you may go back to the curiosity. The next, the next strategy is empathy. I call, you know, I call it the empathy evoker because once you start to get curious, things are going to come up and you're going to want to like be the one that perhaps looks in the mirror and says, Oh God, you look terrible. And instead it's like, wow, look at the work you did. So how do you want the empathy, the energy of empathy to, to evolve? Because you you can't go to that next phase, which is rapport. And you need to be able to develop a rapport. And then you've got a real dance going on. You've got curiosity, you've got empathy, and then you've got the development of that rapport. And, and that is when that discordant guillotine effect, where the mind and the body are out of sync, comes together, begins to come together. And the rapport that you're talking about, is, is that synonymous with actually learning that you can trust yourself, that you can trust your body, that your body can trust you, or it is, give, yeah, give me more about that. the rapport. Sure. So, and it is, I, I feel that it is really the, that rapport building is, is, is the beginning of forming that new neural pathway 
See, oh, see, I just went right here. That is the beginning. Like you've got the curiosity, uh-uh, brain's not going to change yet. You've got the empathy, uh, maybe, but the rapport, there's something more embedded in the rapport. And so to develop a rapport is like the dance. It is the beginning of the, the trust building. It is the beginning of saying, okay, I acknowledge you. Which, you know, if, if you, if you don't acknowledge anxiety when it comes up, guess what happens to it? It gets bigger, you know, and bigger. And, and or it starts so, manifesting and, as sickness and symptoms. And that's exactly right. And when, when anger doesn't get expressed, it manifests into anxiety. So, you, so, so it is beginning to have the rapport with all of these different emotions and, when I think of the sexual grief effect, I think about the developmental processes, but the families that we come from and the messaging that we get is not the messaging that every person gets within their family because every family is different. And growing up the way you grew up, right? And when there is enough messaging of you are not enough, you are not enough. And you'd better find a way to be in this world because you are not enough. It is a traumatic inference, not necessarily a trauma, and yet it affects outcomes. And I come to this work as a survivalist. And um, and so I know what it is to have trauma in my own life and at a very young age and a mother who um, was a runway model and the thinner she got, the fatter I got. So, and this was a, a woman who would tell me to walk into rooms sideways because I looked thinner that way. So I come to this work having had a lot of different traumas, but I think that what we can do with those and how we manage to take the messaging that you described and the messaging that I just described and say, okay, they are persistent and they are, in my language now, holding me hostage. And how can I rewrite a script so that I begin to have a different voice around it? Because my mother or your parents or, you know, the influences of your sisters did frame who you are, but look at, look at who you are and look at who anyone here is. You're all here. So whatever has happened prior to this moment in time or this training in these last weeks, you, you stepped up and stepped in. And so I think that the idea here is not just how we get affected by what happened in our past and how that frames us, but how we become the rearrangers of those frames. And that's when we become the hostage negotiator. Because that picture can hold me and those comments can hold you and frame you and keep you stuck. And for sure, they kept me stuck for a long time until they didn't. And it was the realization that it wasn't going to be about who's going to help me. It was going to be, how am I going to help myself and teach someone perhaps how I need to be helped? But it's a, it's a very fine line. And the self-loathing is massive. So I, 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 I'm going around this because I think that the sexual grief effect 
that's developmental, you know, aging and menopause and sexual dysfunction. Those, those, those are issues that often happen to men and well, do happen to women and often happen to men as they age. And, and there's sexual grief there. There is this loss and every, not everyone is going to deal with it because not everyone is going to go through what someone, you know, the same thing. But if we had someone in the group actually who stood up and said, I had an emergency hysterectomy four weeks ago, am I right? Four weeks ago. And she's like, and I didn't know what I was grieving. And now I do. And she was talking about the sexual grief effect. And then to go back to these men, there's a, there's a funny story. It's a, it's a little out there. So I'm just, it's just like a little, a little, um, warning. Okay. Just, but it's not too bad, but just a tiny warning. And, and he said, you know, my parents told me if I touched myself, two things would happen. I was going to die and it was going to fall off and neither happened. But he said it with tears in his eye. And I'm saying it in a humorous way. It's not funny, but that's sexual grief. So there's a developmental piece there. So that's why I say, you know, yeah, it's predatory, but we're, I'm seeing it in other places. It was interesting. You brought up religion and I was a part of a very high demand religion that shamed sexual behavior before marriage and then even some sexual things within marriage. And it's really starts at eight years old or even younger. And my dear, sweet, beautiful niece took her life about a year and a half ago because of the sexual grief effect that she had for how she was living her life and the amount of shame and self-loathing. And I'm feeling that really deep right now. And I've since left this high demand religion. And a lot of our family has as well. But I just don't know how to help others. I've Because of this, I'm doing okay. But we have a lot of very wounded people in our family. And this is, very, this is really resonating with me today. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. You know, sometimes even just as a passing comment, I attended this, you know, I'm, I'm in this class and this person was speaking and not even bringing up the sexual grief effect, but just saying, she said something about feeling like you are held hostage by something. And I resonated with it and just wanted to share that um, this is what um, something I learned and then stop the conversation and just let that sit. Because you, you are the change agent. You are the one with resilience and you will be the teacher when and if they're ready. So you're doing your work and you're probably trying to do their work for them, which is really, really hard and almost impossible. But just lead with your heart because your heart is huge. Keep the focus on yourself, Jennifer, and just pour into yourself, right? Like that will bubble over and they'll see something different in you. And many times they come to you and they say, what have you done? I want what you have. Yes. So just, yeah, that might be my encouragement. Pour into yourself. Edie, as we wrap up, any anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Any other big picture thoughts or a specific aspect of this that is really on your heart that you want to share before we wrap up. Okay. So um, we were talking about parts work and we were talking about psychodrama and I always love to end 
with um, a little thing from The Wizard of Oz, if you don't mind. So Dorothy, you know, is on her path and we are all on our paths and she meets the scarecrow and she meets, you know, the tin man and she meets, you know, the, the lion and what do they represent, but aspects of her need for the belief that she's got a brain, that she's got a heart of gold and that she's got courage. And as she's moving through, I like to think that that's really what we're getting to are our hearts and our courage and our brains. And that finally these, these ruby slippers that she's been wearing, the power of which she did not know of, she is bequeathed with the knowledge finally, because she's gone through her tasks of realizing that those shoes carry power and that she actually had the power all along. And I want to add to that to heal, to grow, to mature, and to evolve as the budding woman that she needed to leave home to become. And so the sexual grief effect is about leaving home and about realizing that you've got everything you need and you've helped, you've, you've had the power all along. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. Right. With that, Edie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Deepest gratitude. And thank you for joining me for this episode. I am grateful to have the conversation about a topic that is often avoided and overlooked. We delved into the complexities of sexual grief in this episode, understanding its roots in trauma and its profound impact on our sense of self and well-being. From the importance of early developmental experiences to the connection between trauma and physical health, this episode is an important one as we look at how to bring in the healing of our own sexual grief into our trauma healing journey. In the show notes, I will include links to Edie Nathan's website, a video I have done on an example dialogue with protector parts. So you can see even what it might look like to have that dialogue that we talked about with the hostage negotiator. Another video I have done on parts work and becoming our authentic selves. The link to learn more about taking the six-week foundational journey with me, a journey into your own nervous system to lay that foundation for regulation through somatic work and parts work before we go on to one of the six biology of trauma modules and bring in that piece. I will also add links in the show notes to the magnesium supplements that I recommend for those with chronic stress and chronic bracing patterns or muscle tension. If you resonate with any of what was mentioned in this episode, your body has likely been under chronic stress and tension. And so magnesium is one of the most helpful supplements to just start to resource our cells. Remember, healing is a journey. It requires patience, curiosity, empathy, rapport, having a whole new relationship with ourselves and our body, and learning how to support our biology after stress and trauma. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and until next episode, lots of love. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love. <music>